Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So glad that you guys are here. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. Um, mom's truly huge shout out. Um, my mom might be watching right now unless she decided to sleep in. She's retired, so like sleeping in is still a little bit longer than 1118. Um, if you are awake, I'm glad you're up, mom. Uh, but man, it's so good to have you guys here. I wanted to share, and if you've, if you've been around me enough, you've, you've probably heard this before. This has become something I love to share, and I will probably share it next Mother's Day too. Uh, we have something in our house called the special plate. Anybody heard of the special plate before? All three of you, and half of them are my kids. Um, <laughs> I'm glad they remember it. So the way this works, and this actually started uh, when I was a kid with my mom and my dad, and we would have the special plate that anybody, the rule was anybody could always give the special plate to anybody in the family for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then that person would eat off of the special plate, but then we'd go around the table and all share why that person is loved. We love you because you do these things and we know we feel loved. Like that, it just kind of creates a, a great, great dinner table conversation and it helps even as kids, being a kid growing up in my parents' household and now for my kids, it's just good to help them be aware. Oh, these are things to look for. You wanna be able to use, not just I say I love you, but man, I wanna do something tangible. That's then translated and transferred into my own family with Becky and I and our kids. Same thing, when you see something that you wanna share or somebody that does something that was very loving, unique, special, and you want to share that with the family, give them the special plate, and then we'll all talk about it. Um, so I just wanted to share if, like I said, my, my parents don't live here. They're up in the Ohio, Cincinnati area. Uh, but mom, if you are watching, I'd love for you to hear this too. If I were to give my mom the special plate today, I would say things like, mom, you get the special plate because you always go out of your way for me. That was one of the ways that she loves me and my sister and our family. Is she'll go out of the way for us. She's not necessarily a crafty person, but anytime she's around the grandkids, we have boxes and boxes of crafts from Amazon and Oriental Trading Company, Potter, like all these places. So she goes out of her way for us. I'd also say, Mom, I, I feel loved by you because you do things for me that you don't want to do. That's just one of those very tangible ways. I remember as a kid, I uh, played baseball for a very short amount of time, and then I got bored. And uh, so I would play for a little bit, and my dad was great about playing with us as kids, and he was home a lot, uh, but every now and then he would be working a little bit late. And I remember this one time that my dad was running late, so my mom said, Brian, I'll go out into the yard, and I'll throw the baseball with you. Now, here's what you need to know about my mom. Sweet, wonderful lady. She's an educator. She's a retired teacher after 30-something years in language arts for junior high. I mean, she is an incredible woman. God did not gift her with any, any, any bit of athleticism, though. None whatsoever. And so she did her best, and she went out and threw the ball with me about two or three times until one of those throws hit me square in the face, right in the nose. And I was like, Dad never hit me! <laughs> And that was the last time she threw the baseball with me. But it was from a good place, right? It was from a good heart. Like, she meant well. So I would say, Mom, you do things you don't want to do because you love me. I would also tell her, Mom, you get the special plate today because you have continued to challenge me and encourage me. Like, even today, I mean, that's what moms do, right? They continue to challenge. They continue to encourage, to affirm. And it's not just the words, but it's also the actions, right? Isn't that true within love? Like, it's not just, oh, I said I love you. I said you were special. 
It's, no, but here's the action that backed it up. In my own family, my kids are still younger, 10, 8, and 6. So we're still working on the, um, how would you call it? the heartfelt things that they would say. So right now it's still like when we give it, I guarantee you this is going to happen. We're going to give it to Becky for dinner tonight and we're going to go around the table. Why do we love your mom? And what does she do that loves us? And, and it's going to be like, she does laundry. You're like, that's very true. But like, like what else? She makes good food. Like also very true, but you just get the point, right? But the point is even with my kids at those young ages, they're still able to see a connection with my mom says she loves me but we also see it, right? Those are, that's an important connection. I hear I love you, but then I also see it. And that's the connection we want to talk a little about today. But before we do that, um, it's my tradition to not just talk about the special plate, but to give it away also. So parents, uh, when you check your kids in, you get a security tag with a number on it so that we make sure when you pick up your kid, it goes with the right, the right kid with the right parent. Like we're very intentional on that. So check your tag because I'm going to read off a random set of numbers that I've been given and you are going to get to take a special plate home with you. Uh, so look at your numbers. Make, you need your numbers to check your kids out. So some of you are like, that's why we're supposed to keep those. Yes. Yes. Some of you intentionally lose them. Sorry, I can't pick my kid up. Not how it works. All right, here's the number. Uh, letter J3F3. J3F3. Ah, oh, is that you? Woohoo! Awesome. Here, I won't make you walk all the way up here. You can stay put. Afterwards, come and find me. I'll be right up front, and I got your special plate for you. I do need to tell you, there's one rule that you need to make sure your family knows about the special plate. You cannot give yourself the special plate. That's not how it works, right? So make sure, kids, they know you cannot give your— that just doesn't feel like that should be how that works, right? You give it to somebody else, and then you share, here's what we love about that person. But remember the connection, though? I say I love you, but then we actually see it. That's the same, the same principle in regards to our faith. We say we have faith, but then is it evident? Do you see it? We've been in this series called All In, where we're talking about what it looks like to be all in in regards to following Jesus or being a follower of Jesus, to fully follow Jesus. And we can say it, but is it seen? We can talk about how much we trust Jesus and how much we want to follow him and we want to be more and more like him, but is there actions to back it up? That's the question we want to kind of wrestle with, and that's what we want to look at this morning. I want to read quickly out of James chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there real quick, and then we're going to jump over to the Old Testament. James chapter 2 talks about this idea of the faith that we have, the faith that we're growing in, but also a faith that needs to have action associated with it. James chapter 2, verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, there's the action, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, and others have good deeds. But I, say, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Do you hear what James is saying? I will show you my faith. Not just talk about it. I will show you my faith by what I do and by my actions and how I live my life. He goes on, verse 19, says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. I love his sarcasm here. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds, or faith without actions, is 
useless. My hope for us today as we go through this, this study out of 2 Kings chapter 3 is not only do we know that intellectually, yes, I know my faith should have actions, my actions need to show my faith, not just intellectually, but I hope that you're encouraged today because living out your faith, sometimes, if we're honest, it gets a little tiring. So let's pray, and we'll see what Scripture has for us this morning. God, thank you so much for how you move in our own hearts and in our own lives. Thank you for how you're working in us and also through us. God, as we open up your word and we study your Scripture, I pray that, that we would be attentive to what you would want to say to each of us individually. God, that in the midst of our own personal situations and our life circumstances, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to us. May we be listening as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 3, that's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. 2 Kings chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles out in the lobby. Would love for you to take one of those home. I actually have two gifts for you today. One is a little bit of a surprise, but then the other one is a Bible. So grab a Bible, make sure you take that home with you. That's yours. Bring it back next week, study out of it throughout the week. Uh, but in 2 Kings chapter 3, I need to give you a little context before we jump in because we're kind of showing up in the middle of a story. So what you're going to see is there's going to be four different kings. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom, and the king of Moab. And what happened prior to what we're going to jump into, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So then the king of Israel said, don't rebel against me. We're going to fight you and put down the rebellion. But he didn't want to do it by himself. So he called two other buddies, the king of Judah and the king of Edom and said, come with me, join forces, us three kingdoms together. Let's get our armies together and let's go fight against the king of Moab. So that's what's happening. That's what we're going to pick up in 2 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 9. The king of Edom and his troops joined them. So now you have those three kings and those armies, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom and their armies. They traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. Can we all agree that that is a major problem? Yes, that's a huge problem. Not just a kind of problem, that's a huge problem. If you are going to go fight against another army, another kingdom, and you run out of water, you are defeated before you ever start. So here are these three armies, not just one, three. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of soldiers. That's a lot of livestock. That's a lot of horses. And there is no water. They do this seven-day roundabout trip. They get into this valley, and there's no water. It's a huge problem. And what's interesting about problems, and we've talked about this before, this is a biblical idea, a biblical theme or principle, is that when we face a difficulty or we face a problem, we can take two different directions. Right? I kind of call this heels or toes. Heels says, uh, God, where are you? And you start blaming God, and you start backing away from God. But if you go on your toes, you start to lean into God. God, I don't know what to do, but I need you. And that's what we're going to see here, and that's what I would hope for you if you're dealing with what you would call a big problem, a major problem, a great need. Man, I would hope that you would allow your greatest need to drive you to depend on God. Not to get on your heels and back away from God, but to get on your toes and start moving towards God and pursuing Him. We're going to have problems, we're going to have needs, but may your greatest need and your most difficult challenges, may they drive you to depend on God. Here's what happens next. Verse 10, as you would imagine, the kings were a little upset and worried. 
What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But the king of Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, the king of Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Let's talk about this part for a second. Again, if you think heels and toes, backing away from God versus moving towards God, stepping away from God or seeking God. The king of Israel, they're all, now keep in mind, all these kings are dealing with the same problem. There's no water. The king of Israel, he says, oh no, what should we do? It's God's fault. He's the one that brought all three of our kingdoms together. He brought us all together only to be defeated by the Moabites. Thanks a lot, God. Thanks for pulling us together and then leaving us. Thanks for taking us on this journey and then leading us to no water. Thanks for being against us. Did you catch what the king of Israel was getting at here? He was blaming God. But what's interesting is the king of Judah had a very different approach. Again, they're dealing with the same problem, no water. One blames God. One begins to seek God. Heels versus toes. The king of Judah actually asked the question. He's like, who is there? Surely there's somebody around that knows God and can intercede for us. And he even says, if we can find this person, we can ask the Lord what to do. And what great insight. We have this big problem that is way out of our hands. We can't do anything about the lack of water. That's not something we can, we can take care of. The king of Israel says, well, then just chalk it up for another one for blaming God, his fault. But the king of Judah says, no, like, let's ask God what to do. He's in control. He's in charge. We trust him. So let's ask him, what should we do? The same problem, two very different approaches to God. And what I would say is when you look at the king of Israel and the king of Judah, both believe in God, only one trusted in God. And I think that's the issue for many of us. And maybe this hits a little bit close to home for you even. But I think an issue that many people face is believing in God, but not trusting in him. The king of Israel believed in God. You can't blame somebody if you don't believe in them. So he believed in God, in the presence of God. He believed in God, but did not trust him. The king of Judah, on the other hand, believed in God, but also trusted him enough to say, no, 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 let's ask him what we should do. We know we can go to him. We know he will help us. So let's go to him. That's what they decide to do. Glad they listened to the king of Judah rather than the king of Israel. So they go and find Elisha. If you remember, Elijah was the prophet, was a prophet, and then he brought Elisha alongside of him. Now Elisha is a prophet that is used by God to share God's message with other people. So they go to talk to this man of God. Elisha's response is going to be, is going to catch you off guard a little bit. I hope you understand why. Verse 13. These three kings, it sounds like a song, doesn't it? Wrong season. They go to see Elisha. Some of you will catch that at lunch. They go to see Elisha, and they start saying like, hey, we need your help. Tell us what to do. What does God think we need to do here? Verse 13, why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. So you again, you see his backing away from God. You see his blame of God. Real quick, I'm not going to go into all the details. If you want more details, 
Read on your own 1 Kings 18 and 19. 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, and you'll see a whole saga, and you'll understand why Elisha and the king of Israel, there's a lot of tension there. They are not getting along. Bottom line, the king of Israel, you can even read this in chapter 3, he was an evil king in the sight of the Lord. So the king of Israel is not doing things God's way. And Elisha calls him out on it and says, Oh, now you want to ask God what to do. Now that you're in trouble. Now that your pagan gods aren't being very helpful. Now you want to ask God. So he's given a little bit of a jab there. But then we'll see. But again, if you want to read more, 1 Kings 18 and 19, you'll get the whole story of his mom and dad. Not good people. Terrible. But that's a whole other sermon. Here's what he says next. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, another little jab, insinuating, I serve the Lord, you just know of him king of Israel. You know of him, but you don't know him like I do. So the, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for the king Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. Kind of seems a little out of left field, doesn't it? Right? He kind of goes after the king of Israel of not being consistent in his faith, knowing of God, but not truly trusting in God, not having the actions to back up his faith. And, and then you get this but you know what? Because a good king is here, I will see what I can do, so bring me a musician. Now, just to put this in context, if I'm dying of thirst, like, like what these three kings are, if they're truly dying of thirst, and if I can try to put myself in that situation, and I am dealing with a need so far greater than anything I could handle, ever handle on my own, no offense, I'm not calling Trace, our worship leader. He's not my first phone call right? No offense, Trace. I love you, man. And he got real offended by that. <laughs> but it's like, man, there's just, this problem is too big for me. I can't handle it. I don't know what I'm going to do. <gasps> I'll call Trace and I'll have him just sing because his voice will sing. No, like what's the point here? Why does Elisha call for a musician to play the harp? I'll tell you, it's the same reason we do what we do every single Sunday. Depending on when you come, you know, we sing songs before the message. Are you aware of that? Some of you, I didn't know that. Yes, yes, we, we usually do like two or three songs before the message, and then we also sing a song afterwards. That's not because we don't know what else to do. It's not to fill a bunch of space. It's not because we hate change and don't know, don't want to flip things around. That's not why at all. The reason is the same reason Elisha called for someone who could play the harp. Something happens when you pause and you focus your heart and prepare your heart before you go to God. That's what Elisha was doing. Because Elisha, again, Elisha and the king of Israel, not getting along. So it's almost as if Elisha was like, okay, I've got all out that I needed to say. We're still not necessarily good, king of Israel, but if I'm going to go before the Lord, I need to have the right heart. And worship music can do that. Not just worship music, but even this environment, right? God is always speaking, but it's interesting how sometimes we're just more attentive within these four walls. It's not that God's not speaking outside the walls. We just tend to put the distractions away when we walk in here. So I would say to you, as, as you're maybe walking through a big need and a difficult challenge right now, and you're just, God, I don't know what we're going to do, and God, I don't know why you've led me here, and God, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Can I encourage you to, like Elisha, just hang on a second. Pause prepare your heart, worship, and allow God to then speak. It's about preparing your heart before wanting something from God. It's what Elisha modeled and what he did with these kings. 
Here's what he does next. Or here's what we're told next. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. So there's the fix. They went to Elisha so that Elisha could seek God to tell them what to do. And God spoke through Elisha and said, this valley that's completely dry, this wilderness that has no water, this valley that feels like it's going to be your grave is going to be filled with pools of water. Now those pools of water, they did not exist, so there's going to have to be something that these kings and their, their armies have to do. To see that, I want you to see a more literal translation. Little Bible study technique and little insight here is the scriptures were not written in English. If you didn't know that, you learned something new today. And so over the years, we have translated the original text into English, which is helpful so that we can truly understand it. But even over those different translations, they're all accurate. Some read more fluently than others. Right? So I preach out of the New Living Translation. It's not like that's the best, but that's the one that is easy to understand. It's still very accurate, but it kind of matches our modern day language. But if you go to a more literal translation, meaning these are the exact words, it's a little harder to read, but sometimes you can get a little bit more out of it. So I want to read out of a more literal translation out of the NASB, and here's what we're told. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This is Elisha, God speaking through Elisha. The Lord says, Make this valley full of trenches. For the Lord says this, you will, see, you, you will not see wind, nor will you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you will drink, you, your livestock, and your other animals. So both are accurate. It's not like one's right, one's wrong. Both are accurate to the point of God is promising, I'm going to bring water, but right now, if he were to just bring water, then it would just seep through the ground and they wouldn't gain any, they wouldn't be able to drink from the water. So what God is telling them is, I'll bring the water, you need to dig a trench. If you, if you want to be able to drink, you and your livestock, you and your animals, you and your horses, then you need to start digging trenches, not just one or two. What scripture say? Make this valley full of trenches so that when the water does come, the trenches will fill with water and you have pools throughout the valley, just like it read just like scripture read, this valley will be filled with pools of water. But king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Edom, you and your men need to start digging trenches. How do you think that felt, right? For one of these kings that went to God, God, we have a big problem. We don't have water. We need you to fix this problem. We are tired. We are exhausted. We are hot. We are without water. So God, what is your solution? dig trenches, dig ditches. You could just imagine the king saying, Elisha, could you go to it? Let's, let's do the harp thing one more time. And let's make sure that what you heard is accurate. Because it sounded like you wanted us to start digging a bunch of ditches in the middle of the desert. And notice, there's no promise that they would see rain while they dug. Did you catch that? So they're going to be digging these trenches in the middle of the desert without any indication that water's coming. That's a hard thing to ask a bunch of people that are dying of thirst. Start digging trenches in the desert, even when you don't see water. Let me give you the actual definition of a ditch digger. Uh, this is straight from the dictionary. Quote, a person engaged in exhausting manual work, 
especially work that requires little or no originality. Moms, can I get an amen? That sounds like parenting, doesn't it? Exhausting work, very rewarding, but exhausting work. You feel like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again without any results other than I'm just doing what I did yesterday. That can feel like our lives. And God, I'm tired. God, I want you to just fix it. God, I actually, I want to see some evidence that what you say is actually going to happen before I start doing anything. God, I need a little bit more than just dig some trenches and dig some ditches. God's saying, I'll bring the water, but first I need you to dig. God says, I am faithful and I am good and I will provide and I will take care of you. But first, I want to see your faithfulness, right? That's, what, that's where we started. Actions don't prove our faithfulness. Actions reveal the reality of our faith. That's the difference, right? It's not that your actions, because we can have good days and bad days, so don't chalk everything up to actions. But like we read out of James, this idea that actions actually point to and reveal the reality of our faith. Let me help you understand what that means. We could, we could see the different realities of these kings' faith depending on how they responded to God saying, dig some ditches. What if the king said, nope, no way. That makes no sense. We're not going to dig any ditches until we see rain. That tells you a lot about their faith, doesn't it? If they refuse to dig the trenches, that says we don't trust or have faith in the God who promised to bring water. So by them refusing, if they refuse to dig, that actually says a lot about their faith, the reality of their faith. What if they said, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll dig some ditches. Like, we're not going to go do this whole fill the whole valley thing with ditches. We will, let's do a few and then see what happens. So let's just dig, how about like this section right here. Let's dig a few and then let's see if God shows up. And so we're going to do just a little bit because it's more like wishful thinking than faithfulness. You understand the difference there? Wishful thinking is like, man, I really hope this works, but I really don't think it's going to. So let me just try it for a little bit and see if it works tells you a lot about somebody's faith. If it's, well, let me just try it for a little bit, and then let me see if God's going to make good on his promise. Tells you a lot about somebody's faith. Would tell you a lot about these kings' faith. If they said, all right, fill this valley full of trenches. Fill this valley full of ditches. They got every single soldier to get a shovel in their hand and start digging. That tells you they trust in God, especially when they don't see the rain. Our actions reveal the reality of our faith. If you were to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you were to focus on Jesus's miracles and his healings, you'll notice two things. Um, I don't want to say all of them, but in a lot of them, if not most of them, Jesus moves to heal or do a miracle, and there's two phrases that kind of, that, that become prominent. One is out of compassion. Scripture would say, and he had compassion on them, and so therefore he and then did a miracle or did a healing. The other phrase that you see quite a bit is, and he saw their faith. He saw someone's faith, and so then he went the rest of the way. He saw someone's faith, and then he fulfilled his end of the promise. It's how God chooses to work. He promises. He is faithful. He is good. 
but he also wants to see us take a step of faith. So I want to help you with that. And nothing, nothing's like Mother's Day talking about like digging ditches and shovels. In fact, I did read when me and the kids were trying to figure out what to get Becky for Mother's Day. Hold your ears for a second, Becky. Is um, I googled worst gifts to give mom on Mother's Day just to make sure we didn't hit one of the worst ones. The top two, ready for this? The top two, cleaning supplies. No worries on that one. We didn't do that. And then tools. And here I am doing a Mother's Day sermon on shovels and digging ditches, but I think it'll still be helpful. So here's what I want to do. Let me put these up on the screen for you. I'm going to talk through them briefly. I've found in my own life that when I'm trying to apply scripture in God's word, it helps if I can kind of point a little bit further into specific relationships or categories of our lives. We all have these on some level. So the question would be, what does it look like to take steps of faith in your relationship with God? What does it look like to take steps of faith in your relationship with yourself? And go through each of those. In other words, what does it look like to dig some ditches? What does it look like to let your faith also be seen in action? So for example, in your relationship with God, what are those things that feel just like you do them over and over and over again? And sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's ever working. Let's talk about prayer. Well, I just pray all the time. I pray and pray and God never answers me, so I'm done praying. Well, maybe he's not ready to answer you yet. Or maybe he is answering and we're not listening. Maybe he just wants to hear your voice more and more and more. There's a lot of reasons. So again, keep praying. Keep moving forward. Even like here, I love that you all are here today. Like that you made church a priority. Don't hear this through the lens of attendance. Hear this through when you show up, you never know how God might use you in other people's lives. You never know how God wants to make make your life useful for the people around you. You have no idea how God wants to speak to you in this environment where we have spent all week trying to make this environment distraction-free so that you can hear from God. Not to make him speak, but so you can actually listen. So keep doing those things. Keep digging ditches. What about in your relationship with yourself? Usually when we talk about self, health usually is the first thing that comes to mind. It's this whole idea of like, well, I want to get healthy and I want to, want to get a little bit better with some of my rhythms and my routines and my habits. So I went to the gym one time and it didn't work. I don't know what's wrong with that place. I don't know what's wrong with their equipment, but I went and when I got home, I looked the exact same. No, we know that's ridiculous. So you keep digging ditches. You keep putting in the work. And over time, you begin to see how God will move. Family. Oh, let's stick on that one for a second. Spouses, let me talk, let me talk with you. What does it look like to dig some ditches? With your, not to put your spouse in a ditch. Let's be clear on this one. <laughs> not what we're talking about. How do you dig together? Here's, in my opinion, the best thing for you to do, spouses. Pray together. Every single day. Grab each other's hands and pray together. Well, I... Brian, like, that's, that's easy for you to say as a pastor, but it, isn't it, it's awkward, and I don't know what to say. Do you think it's a little awkward for these kings and their army to be digging trenches in the desert without any sign of rain? It's like Noah building the ark in the middle of, of the dry season. Is that a little weird and awkward? Yep. But you have no idea what God's going to do through that. Spouses, start today. Start praying together daily. Becky and I are convinced that family dinners make a huge difference in our family. So those are one of the ways that we dig ditches. Kids are like, man, we could eat anywhere. Yep, but you're gonna have to eat with me at the table. Well, can't we do something? Can I eat in my room? Nope. Why? We're digging ditches. <laughs> what does that mean? Don't worry about it. <laughs> or you'll be in it. 
I'm kidding, I didn't say that to him. Only thought it. It's those things though, right? I mean, are you gonna see an immediate change? No. And what about 18 years of doing family dinners together? Four out of the seven days a week. You think that'll make a difference? I believe with all my heart it will. What does that look like? Moms, let me talk with you. You are great ditch diggers. You are. You dig when you're tired. You dig when your hands are blistered. You dig when no one else will dig. You pick up that shovel every single day as you're raising those kids and you're investing in your family. Let me tell you this, and please hear me. Don't stop. Keep digging ditches. Be faithful in your digging and watch what God will do. We could go through all of these. Friends, church, community, work, finances. We don't we love talking about money in the church. What does it look like to give God some and then trust him with the rest? What does it look like to, to trust through actions in regards to even your finances and not just your other horizontal physical relationships? If you go through all these enemies, we don't like talking about them, but Jesus talked about them. What are we supposed to do? If you read out of the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, hate those that hate you, but I tell you to love those who persecute you and pray for them. What does it look like to dig ditches in each area of your life? Let me tell you three things to remember as you're digging ditches, because this is where it gets hard. You're going to get all fired up. We're going to go dig ditches at home, and you're going to try to explain that to your kids, and they're going to be really confused, um, but it's a good, good, good idea here. So let me give you three things to remember. The first one, we've talked about this before, success is not in the results. You don't dig and be like, well, I, I don't, this isn't working. Faithfulness, consistency, that's the next one. Be consistent. You don't just do it for a little bit and then you're done, right? You do this day in and day out and you start small. That's what I love about this, this passage and how that applies to us. Do you know what it takes to dig a ditch? A shovel and some dirt. Like it's super simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is super simple. You take your shovel, you dig, and you pull out some dirt. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it. Start small, start with a small step of faith. Let me tell you how this ends. Verse 18, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. He, you will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared suddenly appeared and it was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. The part I want you to pay attention to is when Elisha says, this is only but a simple thing for the Lord. I love that about our God. Our greatest needs and our biggest challenges are a simple thing for God. What is impossible for us is easy for God. What is impossible for you is easy for him. His part is to bring the water. He is faithful. He is good. Our part is to pick up a shovel and to take small steps of faith each and every day. If you would, if you'll close your eyes, I want to pray, but uh, I want to pray a little bit differently. I'm going to pray a scripture over us. So I'm going to read out of Psalm 37, and this is going to be our prayer as we close out this morning. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Lord, that is our prayer.
that we would trust in you and that our actions would show that trust, that we would take delight in you and seek you and pursue you even in the most difficult and trying times, that we would commit everything we do to you, every ditch we dig, every time we pick up that shovel, we commit it to you. God, we know that you are faithful. Your faithfulness has been proven through history and mostly through your son, Jesus Christ. You promised to save us and you did that. You fulfilled your promise through sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, who Jesus raised from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life with you. So may our faith be seen in action. Each and every day, may we wake up, grab the shovel, and begin digging ditches because we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.